Hello everyone and welcome to the first interview of this podcast with American composer Anthony Green, who currently lives and works in the Netherlands and in Germany. If this interview appears a bit rigid and unnatural at places, it is because we did record it in an asynchronic way, each one of us remaining in their own country. So I thank you for your kind understanding and patience. And let us start. Hello, Mr. Green. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm new to podcasting and uh, you are my first guest. I'm very excited to address the immigrant experience with you. So we'll start immediately with the first question. Studies in Europe sometimes seem as a rite of passage to North American music students. What was the research proposal that interested uh, Universität der Künste in you and brought you to Europe? And also, do you plan on remaining in Europe after the end of your fellowship? I'd like to start by saying that I moved to Europe six years before I started my fellowship at UDK, mostly because of love, but also because the United States is a pretty crippling place in many ways, especially when you're black. I was glad to have moved, but when I arrived to the Netherlands, it was at a time when arts funding was significantly reduced, to the point where Gaudiamus temporarily ended, and the main center to help composers went bust. That was Musikcentrum Nederland. So for six years, I worked really hard to stay optimistic, often creating my own opportunities, applying to whatever I could, and saying yes to whatever I could, and increasing my experience as a composer, a performer, an educator, and, officially starting in 2017, a social justice artist. When my friend Cleo told me about the Udeka Fellowship, I immediately remember a book that I read as an undergraduate student at Boston University. The book was called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, and it was written by Harriet Jacobs, who was writing under her pen name, Linda Brent. She was born into slavery in 1813, and on her journey towards freedom, she spent seven years living in a crawl space in her grandmother's attic. My project utilizes live music, pre-recorded audio and sound, projected moving and still image, movement, and audience participation, and it focuses on the psychology of Miss Jacobs's period of isolation while incorporating brain science, an attempt to rectify certain racist aspects of biology, and perspectives from the critique of black feminism. As the Netherlands is my current home, I definitely plan on remaining in Europe after my fellowship ends, which will sadly be in April next year. From what I understand, your project will be illuminating to many Europeans who frequently do not know Black North American history. On a national level, North American and European countries exemplify stark differences pertaining to early music education, support for the arts, and the place of music in public discourse which uh, demand a steep learning curve from immigrants who wish to integrate into a new reality. How did you personally navigate these differences? And do you have any advice to offer to U.S. composers who wish to pursue professional opportunities in Europe? 
I'm honestly not sure how I navigate these differences. Growing up in Providence, Rhode Island, and then being educated at Boston University and New England Conservatory, both of whom mirror high-level European-style pedagogy, including the use of fixed dough, that all made transitioning to Europe rather easy. Perhaps a more European sensibility and sympathy is just a natural part of who I am. But if I were to give advice to U.S. composers who have an interest in European opportunities, I would say be prepared to learn more about yourself as a U.S. citizen in Europe than you could ever learn by staying in the States and never leaving. In terms of helpful tips, I would say just do your research. Find out about standards, visit websites of younger and older composers in the country in which you're interested, research cost of living, travel, various communities, including non-music communities of which you may be a part, and don't hesitate to contact students, citizens, and other expats to get a bigger picture of the pros and cons. This advice, of course, can be applied to composers wishing to study in Asia, South America, or Africa as well. Let us pivot more now to your artistic identity and intended audience. Who is your intended audience? How did it change over the course of your maturation as an artist? How would you like your creative output to be described and perceived by its intended audience? The composer-audience relationship for me is quite tricky, as my practice encompasses a broad range of styles and media. For example, my commissioned works for new music ensembles are intended for the ensembles themselves and their audiences. My commissioned works for community ensembles and family-friendly events are intended for those types of audiences. My solo performances as an experimental sound-based performance artist are intended for audiences with an interest in contemporary art of any medium, as these performances include movement, visual elements, improvisation, composition, audience participation, durational performances, and much more. Uh, this is a practice I refer to as divergent theater. My solo piano performances at assisted living facilities usually comprise standard conservative piano repertoire, although I have been known to sneak in a couple of contemporary pieces for the mostly 75-year-old and older residents. At the end of my life, though, I would like to say that first and foremost, I created what I created and I performed what I performed because I genuinely wanted to, and I never compromised to accomplish a project. While it's inevitable to receive negative feedback or critique, and while I've had my share fair of that already, it would be amazing if audiences perceived my projects as sincere expressions birthed from a diverse experience and a comportment of triumph, but also deeply rooted in recognizing and honoring history and tradition. Thank you, dear Mr. Green, for joining us. We will be back with part two. Thank you, everyone, and have a good day. Thank you so much.